Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Let us unite our hearts and our minds in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord God, our Trinity of hope and faith and love, our God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, to you be honor and glory this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts capture the power of your glorious name. In your honor we speak, and in your power we listen. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I was sent very recently a fascinating interview with Jane Goodall. It was in a magazine that looks at issues of faith and science. And Jane Goodall was being interviewed because she is both a person of faith and, of course, a primatologist, a person of science with a doctorate from Cambridge. And we all know, I'm sure, what Jane Goodall did with chimpanzees and the knowledge that we have learned of our universe and our world and our Earth because of her outstanding work. So I gravitated towards this essay very much interested in the relationship between faith and science. She had just been awarded the 2021 Templeton Prize in religion. And so my mind was acute. It was aware there was something in this interview I should read. But I was astonished by what I read. I was astonished that she had grown up in a Congregationalist household in the United Kingdom. Her grandfather was a Congregationalist minister, and she'd grown up in a church in Bournemouth in southern England where her faith had developed. But she does not go into great lengths about precisely how that faith has grown and developed over the years, but she does go into addressing the subject of the interview, the relationship between faith and science, between spirituality and scientific knowledge. And there were three quotes that really grabbed me, and I think they'll grab you as well. This are some of the things that Goodall said in her interview. She said, what I love today is how science and religion are coming together and more minds are seeing purpose behind the universe and intelligence. Einstein did, and my good friend Francis Collins does. She said, I don't think we can ignore this. We've got finite minds, and the universe is infinite. When science says we've got it all worked out, there's the Big Bang that created the universe. Well, what created the Big Bang? Our minds can't do it. What's fascinating me now is the news being uncovered about all manner of things 
that we don't know about. It's very exciting. When more scientists are saying there's intelligence behind the universe, that's basically what the Templeton Foundation is about. We don't live in only a materialistic world. Francis Collins drove home that in every single cell in your body, there's a code of several billion instructions. Could that be by chance? No. There's no actual reason why things should be the way they are, and chance mutations couldn't possibly lead to the complexity of life on earth. This blurring between science and religion is happening more and more, and scientists like me, are more willing to talk about it. Wow. And I thought about what Goodall said, especially in the light of our current context. Look, we have faced a health crisis of enormous proportions, and we've struggled to come to terms with it on so many levels. We've also had, for some, a faith crisis, and you might be wondering this, where is God in the midst of all this chaos? Where is the hope that can come out of what is a disease and a pandemic? And so these two things have played on each other in people's minds, and they come down to a matter really of how we see science and the world, and how we see religion, how we see the role of our God in the world and in society. And we've heard many people say over and over again, I believe in science. Notice the language, I believe in science. And we've heard others say, we must let science lead us. And you hear this over and over again. But at the same time, we get a mixed message. Scientists disagree on the outcome or the reason behind things. Scientists have changed their mind, and there is not the same certainty. Things that we used to know scientifically, we now are unsure of or are questioning. So while as a society we want to believe in science, we know that science itself even has its limitations. Don't misunderstand me here. I am not in the camp that says science has no value or we shouldn't listen to it. On the contrary, I think that we should take science even more seriously, perhaps, than we have done. And the problem has been that those ideas about science have sometimes been manipulated for political or social or economic reasons. And so science can be used, and science can be abused as well. But let's be clear. Science is one way of knowing, but it is not the only way of knowing. There is more than we perhaps can see, even with our scientific models. And that's what Goodall is getting at. That we live in a finite mind, but we live in an infinite universe. And therefore, even our scientific knowledge is still subject to question. 
Nowhere is this more clearly seen, though it's not addressing the science-religion debate, because it's hundreds, thousands of years before that. But Psalm 104 wants to give a perspective. And the perspective is that this creation has a purpose, and that this creation has a reason for being. Look, it does not go into issues that have arisen subsequently of the relationship between scientific evolutionism or, or, uh, or creationism in the Bible. Look, those are issues of chronology, really. It goes right to the heart of the notion of a divine intelligence, to quote Goodall, a divine intelligence that created this world and made it and formed it for a reason. And that God is behind this creation, and God is involved in this creation. This is a marvelous psalm. But it's a marvelous psalm also because this is Trinity Sunday. And on Trinity Sunday, we celebrate the fatherhood of God and, and the sonship of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we look at the relationship between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But this is also Pentecost time. And so I want to look at the role and the power of the Holy Spirit as the source, as the reason behind this very creation that we have, and that both science and our understanding of God, which is also, let's be honest, finite, and is restricted by our ability to know, where both of them come under the guidance and the strength of the Holy Spirit. But first, what is affirmed in this passage is that it is the Spirit and that it is the wisdom of God that made the world, that created. Look at the opening verses that we read today, that the manifold work of God sort of in wisdom created the world, created and made the things. Now, in Hebrew, the word for wisdom is chokmah. And chokmah really is a practical word. Wisdom is how the spirit who moved on the waters, according to Genesis, then sort of created the world. Wisdom implies that there is a creative, practical forming of things. Not just an ethereal idea, but an actual forming of them. And that word hokmah has sort of two parts to it. It can mean an architect or a artisan. Now, an architect, of course, is the one who develops the design, the one who makes, in a sense, the idea of something. I had a fascinating conversation a couple of years ago with two European architects who were here in Toronto explaining how they were going to build and how they were going to create the architecture for a building here in Toronto. And in a Q&A afterwards, I asked them sort of what was their motivation behind what they were doing? 
And they started to talk in very scientific terms. They described the building as having a certain amount of light come into it, a certain structural rigidity, a certain ability to be environmentally sustainable, a certain ability to be able to accommodate crowds, to maintain a degree of longevity, and to blend in scientifically with the world that is around it for its own safety. It was very well done and very well constructed. But I had a follow-up question, and I wasn't trying to be smart here. I was genuinely interested. And I said, but yes, but, but there's also a beautiful component to what you've done. Where has that come from? We know all the science, but where has that come from? And they said, oh, it actually came from the shape of a tree and the leaf that we saw on a tree. And I took away from that a sense that it was nature itself that had been the inspiration for the shape. Science had created the structure, but it was the beauty that had been created and the reason that it is attractive through nature. And I said, and I quipped, and there was some laughter because they knew I was a minister. I said, well, that's good. So God had something to do with the design of all of this. And even they chuckled and said, okay, sir, you've got maybe a point. The point is that Hokma wisdom is that architecture. It is the design. And the design is hard for us to fully grasp. And I can't do it. And I'm not a scientist and it's beyond my knowledge. But as Goodall is saying, and she's saying it very clearly, Science and religion can come together to understand what has been made. But there's an artisan at work here too. It's not just that God in a distance had a design, God was involved in it. I like what Paul says, that God is, is, is the potter and we and the world are the clay. God molds and shapes it. And not just the big things. I mean, what I love in this line is it talks about all the creatures, great and small, from which the hymn comes from, this very passage. And both the small things, sort of the code that is within the human cells that Francis Collins has been looking at, in the billions, says Goodall, but also the great sperm whales and the power of the natural world, which Goodall has looked at in her life, both great and small, are formed, are shaped, are given architecture by this God. I mean, this is the language of the psalmist. This is beautiful language. It's language about the earth being made for a purpose and a reason and not being an accident, all things great and small. But it also implies this passage that there is an engagement in this world and that not only has God created all things great and small, but he has done it in a way to actually help creation itself. The changes of the seasons are referred to. The feeding of people and the earth providing for them. These are the things that the psalmist loves so much. So the wisdom of God, the architecture, the handwork of God 
is seen in the creation that God has made. It's a beautiful knowledge. And this wisdom, of course, comes from the Spirit who moved on the waters, came from God. But there's a second part, and that is really that the Spirit renews, renews creation. God is intimately involved in things. The world that God made was not static. And I think sometimes people think of it in those terms. No, the language that the psalmist uses is dynamic language about the involvement of God. He says, look, look at the ships on the sea and look at the Leviathan in the waters. I mean, just watch them. Watch creation. Now, in the time of the writing, there was a Canaanite belief that God had created, but essentially left it to be chaos. And the Leviathan was seen as that which was chaotic, that there was no structure to the world, and that the world was left to its own devices. Not the biblical view. The biblical view is that God not only came and made the world and the universe, however it was done, but God was involved in it. Even, he says, the psalmist, the Leviathan that you have made, the Leviathan that represented chaos. No, not chaos. The Leviathan, even the Leviathan, even the hard things were made by God. Listen to what the great prophet Isaiah has to say in chapter 51. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the Leviathan? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to cross over? You see in the Exodus, uh, in the creation of the world, God was still involved, even with the Leviathan, comes under the sovereignty and the glory and the wonder of God. God is the maker of it all. But God continues to redeem it. I keep hearing people say, we must save the world. We must save the earth. But I'm a believer in that it is not ours to save. It is God's. And God continues to do this. Don't misunderstand me. There is much in the, worth that, in the earth that needs renewing, that needs protecting and changing. There are behaviors that we should modify. There are things that we need to do. But be under no illusion. The earth is the Lord's. And to the Lord we should turn for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit for its renewal in its maintenance. I do not believe there is only a scientific approach that can be taken to environmentalism, for example. I think there can be a spiritual approach to it too. And Goodall 
is at the forefront of those discussions. It means that we approach things humbly, but that we treat the creation with even greater respect, knowing who the one is who made it. And I believe we need the wisdom of the Spirit in how we do that as a human race. But the Spirit also renews those whom the Spirit makes. God continues through the Spirit to renew people. The great fear of the psalmist was that God would remove his Spirit from people and they would die. That if God removed his Spirit from the earth and the world, the world would die. That it is dependent on this ruach, this wind, the Spirit of God, and that we rely on this God. And we rely on this God to help us to know what we should do with this world and with each other and how we should treat it and how we should treat each other. Science can only bring us to the point of a cliff in many ways when it comes to how do we then deal with each other. And here is where the Spirit comes into play. In our passage from the book of Numbers that Chris read, we have a story of Moses who is filled by the Spirit with the people of Israel in the wilderness, gathers 70 of his leaders, leads the camp, goes into a specific tent to seek the wisdom of God. But two men stayed behind, Medad and Eldad. And they had the Spirit come upon them. And they gave a testimony and a witness to where we should go and what we should do and how the Lord was going to lead the people. Joshua, on hearing this, goes back into the camp and challenges Moses and said, but Moses, you're the one who received the Spirit. Why are those who stayed behind, these two, getting a visitation from the Spirit? And Moses recognized that it's not just in him, not just in one chosen and set apart that the Spirit works, but he said, but I wish if all could have the Spirit that Eldad and Medad had. At Pentecost, that wish of Moses was further fulfilled. God's Spirit came upon his people and empowered them to live a life in God's service in the world. And I believe that in this world we're in right now, that is our calling, to be open to the wisdom and the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And in this creation, and in this time of great concern, I think the words again of Jane Goodall speak to us really, really clearly. She was asked this, what advice would you give to a 10-year-old wanting to become a scientist? She said, I would tell them you mustn't be cold. You must have empathy. It's the lack of empathy for subjects that's led to so much cruelty to animals and others. Now we're even learning how these trees communicate. 
It's such a fascinating world to live in. There is always something new to learn. And what is new for us to learn, I believe, is the empathy, compassion, love, and power of the Holy Spirit who can renew us. And God willing, renews our world. Amen. To the Holy Trinity be all praise.